Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. Farmers and producers are increasingly needing to resource the H-2A visa program to get foreign labor on their farms to be able to produce and farm and collect their food. But this program has been blasted by advocates as having plenty of loopholes that lead to worker abuse. I'm Annie Reese. This is Politico Dispatch. Okay, let's do it. And this is Jimena Bustillo. And I am an agriculture policy reporter at Politico. Those worker abuses that Jimena was talking about are part of a massive federal investigation. Withholding wages, sexual assault on farms, inadequate housing conditions, and in some cases, like we see in Operation Blooming Onion, deaths and federal fraud. On the show today, inside the federal H-2A visa program, and why that program's loopholes have made it an easy target for abuse. And I do think that it's very interesting that this very big blockbuster case came out, and there were very few reports about it. And even then, it took this high-scale nature of a human trafficking case to bring attention to an issue that has been in existence for decades, truly. So what is Operation Blooming Onion? Operation Blooming Onion began in 2016 after one Georgia farm worker came forward to federal authorities and filed a complaint against their employer. And what proceeded was a six-year, multi-government, multi-year investigation into a 24-person human drug smuggling ring that allegedly has trafficked hundreds, if not thousands, of workers from Mexico and Central America to provide farm work labor on South Georgia onion farms, but in a way that has defrauded the American government significantly. The group requested over 71 thousand H-2A visas. And Mm. the reason that this is a fraud is they charged the workers who believed that they were going through the legal process to be an H-2A worker in the United States, charged them like astronomically high fees for these visas, which you're not supposed to do, and made them work on farms where they weren't supposed to work, like actually literally sold and traded them as far out as, you know, other states in the Midwest and moved them illegally to work in areas where they hadn't been authorized to work. Just incredibly awful conditions, like made them work with their bare hands, paid them very little or not at all, threatened them at gunpoint. Some of them were sexually assaulted. Two of them died. This was dubbed modern day slavery by the federal prosecutors, right? Yes, it is conditions of modern day slavery because of how awful of the living and the working conditions and how these workers were treated. They were abandoned. They were literally sold and traded across the country. And this highlights how easy it was to do this under the H-2A visa program. Can you describe the loophole in the H-2A visa program that allowed this to happen? 
It all kind of comes down to the fact that it's very difficult for workers to file any sort of complaint. Mm. And many farmers use labor contractors. And labor contractors are notoriously known in the agriculture advocate community for cutting corners, you know, overcharging workers for their visas. And at that point, it gives farmers and it gives producers that ultimately own these farms plausible deniability for using undocumented labor. At the same time, workers need to know, one, fully what their rights are. They need to know, two, where they are and how to file complaints if they need to, especially because different laws can have different labor laws for agriculture. Like California laws are going to be different than New York laws that are going to be different than Ohio laws. And so workers have to be aware of where they are, of when they cross state lines if they do, how their rights change, and they have to know how to file a complaint. And then they also have to be willing to file a complaint. And mm-hmm. the thing with the H-2A visa is it is specifically tied to your employer. You are there to do agriculture labor for a very specific farm and a very specific employer. And you have to then be willing to file a complaint against the person that's responsible for your status. I mean, I've already lost track. <laughs> yeah, a lot of things need to be in place, right? There are plenty of workers that still go through and do file complaints. And that is evidenced by the rates of investigations that the Mm. Department of Labor does. But that's still a very high barrier, right? You have the Department of Labor and advocates saying that sometimes they just literally do not know where workers are because they work in very rural and remote areas that... If they don't know where they are, how are the workers supposed to know where they are? Hmm. And I think the nature of farm labor is something that is not talked about very often. Like farm workers do not have the same worker protections that other domestic workers have. And that is largely rooted in this country's history of slavery, because in Reconstruction era, when African-American and Black Americans continued working on farms because that's the only place that they could find work, they were left out of worker protection laws. Like, Mm. they were left out of that legislation. And that has never been fixed. That has never changed except the demographic of the workers. And that is something that is not talked about when making some of these policy decisions. Instead, the concern is whether or not workers are getting amnesty and whether or not the border is being secured. But this is a legal federal program in which workers are imported for labor because farmers aren't able to find the domestic labor in the United States to do the work. That's a requirement of the H-2A program. Farmers have to prove that they could not hire someone else in the United States to do that job. And so we're seeing increasingly high rates of the use of the H-2A visa program. It's increased by 52% since 2016. But this legal program has a lot of loopholes and issues, and it's not monitored uh, as closely as maybe folks would like it to be. So where are the politics at on reforming this rule? 
you have House Republicans very much in favor of some form of reform and even pathway to legalization to extend protections. And then you have Senate Republicans staunchly being against and even parties are split. Why are... Yeah. Do you know why that split? Yeah. I mean, a, a lot of the Republicans in the House will represent rural areas and farming communities that mm. need more of these visas and they need more of these workers in order to sustain their local economies. And at the same time, you know, you even hear from the agriculture industry that they want to give these workers protections, that most farmers do work by the book. And you know, as far as to say that these workers are sometimes their family because mm-hmm. they'll go and work on the same farm for 15, 20, 30 years. And you really get to know a person after doing that. And so you have farmers and producers and even Republicans being like, there should probably be a pathway to legalization for these workers. But in the Senate, you have senators who are very afraid to vote on this kind of legislation. You have senators that call it mass amnesty, as Senator Chuck Grassley has done. And Republicans have been on the record in the House saying it's really difficult to have these kinds of conversations with our colleagues because amnesty always comes up and it's Mm. no longer about the farming industry or the farming community. It's about border politics and border security and amnesty. Mm-hmm. Because I think many people think that no Republican wants this kind of legislation. Mm-hmm. But a bill that would at least provide legalization, which could embolden workers to file complaints, it did pass the House about a year ago with bipartisan support and plenty of Republicans, even from very red states like Idaho, being in favor and lead sponsors of the bill, but no movement in the Senate. So why has it been back in the news now? So it was brought back into the news when Senator John Ossoff of Georgia sent a letter to the Biden administration You know, multiple of the cabinet members, the secretary of labor, the secretary of homeland security, just anybody that's involved in the H-2A visa process, asking how this happened. Like physically, how was this allowed to occur? How was it so easy for this to happen for six years before any indictments and any arrests were ever made? I will say that in 2019, there was a separate indictment of three people who committed crimes under Operation Blooming Onion but were not a part of the 24-person indictment. But for the most part, like, there were people that are now indicted, that were indicted in 2021, that as late as 2020 were still requesting and being given visas by the United States government, even while they were being investigated by the United States government. So there's a question of, you know, how did this all occur for so long? How was it allowed to even happen? And that is putting a pressure on the Biden administration to answer those questions and also answer the call for reform of the H-2A visa process. Because of the intensity of this case, as you were saying, it's drawn renewed attention to the flaws in this federal agricultural visa program. We talked about the loophole and how and why it's been manipulated, but what would it take to close that loophole? What are we kind of expecting to see? 
That's a really good question. And it, it just takes a lot. It would require increasing basic protections like overtime, heat mm-hmm. standards. It would probably take a pathway to legalization so that workers aren't afraid of retaliation and deportation. But it would also take a level of enforcement, oversight, and education that mm-hmm. the Department of Labor says they're trying to do, but it's just very, very difficult. Like, there's no HR orientation for farm workers. <laughs> and being able to find a way to do that is very difficult if you don't even know where the workers are. Yumina Bustillo, thank you so much for talking with me. Thank you for having me. Today's episode of Politico Dispatch included music composed by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Be sure to follow Politico Dispatch if you haven't yet, and if you can, leave us a rating and review. It helps more people find the show. I'm Annie Reese. Thanks so much for listening.